Let's read verse 1, chapter 2. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people. Again, what we talked about last week. Even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their, their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So as we look and we start, this whole chapter is going to be about false teachers. But we're only going to get through these first three verses this morning. And so he's going to warn us that we need to be aware of these false teachers, right? Just like we have to be aware of, of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant, right? Like be aware because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom, whomever he may devour, right? And, and the devil can use people to do that, right? First John tells us that those who aren't of God are under the sway of the wicked one. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. And so we have to be very careful of the things that we listen to and who we listen to and that's why we always encourage you, and you'll hear it from Pastor Kevin's mouth pretty much every Sunday, to grab your Bible and to never trust the man in the pulpit, right? To never trust the man in the pulpit and to listen and see if it lines up with the Word of God. Even people that you listen to and trust and know, hence me or Pastor Kevin, right? All we, or Paul, right? We're talking about Paul, and he's preaching the gospel, and here the Brians are searching the scriptures to make sure what Paul is saying is true. So we have to be mindful of that. So he's going to warn us that not only are there false prophets among us, but there are also false teachers. Now for our Life Together groups, we've been going through the book of Jude. How many of you guys have read the book of Jude? Okay, cool. It will literally take you three minutes, right? Because <laughs> it's one chapter. Um, but in the book of Jude, in, the, in verses 3 through 4, I want to read these really quick because they line up. Jude and Peter are talking about the same thing. Jude here is telling us that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have to contend for our faith. He says in verse 3, and there's no chapter because there's no, it's just one. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salva salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one thing we see here is that they're among us. <laughs> hey, oh, by the way, I was going to tell you, I didn't even tell you the announcements. I totally missed on that. I'll tell you afterwards. But yeah, they're among us. And so that's something that we have to be aware of. I mean, the Gospels tell, tell us that, that false teachers come in wolves and sheep. They, they're wolves in sheep's clothing right, that the devil himself disguises himself as the angel of light, right? So it's, it's not so much that it's super noticeable. Jude tells us that they come in uh, unnoticed, that they creep in. Peter tells us here that they secretly bring in destructive heresies, you know, so we have to be sober, we have to be vigilant, otherwise we're ignorant to the things that are just in our midst, and so what are we looking for? And that's what Peter is going to show us, the things to look for, the false teachers and the false prophets. Now, what is a false teacher? The term for false teacher, <laughs> and I cannot pronounce it for you, but I will try, 
pseudoitis uh, callos. I don't know, look it up on your own time. But it's defined as a fake or bogus teacher, right? A fake or bogus teacher. I put the word bogus in there. It was a hard word, so I just changed it to bogus. Uh, someone who spreads inaccurate Christian doctrine, hence a false teacher. And the only place in the entire scriptures that you'll find this term is right here in this chapter, in this passage. And Peter's use of it and his description of these false teachers throughout this chapter strongly suggests two things. It doesn't mean that someone is, is simply teaching error out of ignorance, right? It's not that somebody comes up and teaches the word of God or shares on the street or wherever it may happen out of ignorance, and they just mistakenly do it. False teachers are those who do it, and they know they're doing it, right? I mean, I can only imagine that the many times that I've been up here teaching that I have probably messed up once or twice, more than that, a few times in my doctrine or theology, right? But I'm not up here to sway you in a different direction. I'm not up here to sway you off the narrow path, off the only way that leads you to salvation to the Father, which is only through Jesus Christ, and it's not through works, but it's by grace through faith, and it's by the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? Correct. That's exactly what the gospel is, and, and the point is that we always guide you to Jesus. I never ask you for anything. Well, I'll ask you to like, do things like clean up and stuff like that, but I don't try to exploit you in such a way that would lead you away from the faith, right? And so Peter's telling us that there are many false teachers who exploit you, and Growing up in, in, in Calvary Chapel, not that all Calvary chapels are the, the church or the right church, there's many that are wrong, and it all depends on, on the man, but growing up within this church, I can say that we kind of get spoiled. And so I often think, man, is there really churches out there? Are there really teachers out there who exploit their people? Are there really churches that are just, are there really men and women who are in it just for the money, right? And you can just get on what is it, CBN, you know, um, and there's, there are many, and so I, I kind of forget that there are churches, and there are men out there that are exploiting people to get what they want, and it's sad because what it does is it puts, a, it puts a bad taste in people's mouth, and they get hurt by the church, and then we assume that the whole church uh, is like that, right, we're going to see that here uh, in verse uh, two, but there are many, many men, many women who are out there to exploit you, I think of um, oh gosh, I'm not going to say her name because I'm not 100% sure. So, But I remember watching a video one time of a lady, a very famous Christian pastor lady. And um, gosh, I wish I remembered her name. I don't want to say it because if I'm wrong, then, but yeah, I don't want to do that. So, But there was an interview of, of her, you know, they, they'll ask you to send in money. And the idea is when you send in money, God's going to bless you. Right, and, and obviously we don't we don't see that anywhere in scripture, and and sh and the interviewer was like, well, do you do you think that's bad that you know you're basically taking and exploiting their money when these people only you know they live off the bare minimum, you know these aren't rich people are sending in money, these are people who are hurt and broken, and the reason that they're sending in money is so that they're no longer hurt and broken and in the predicament that they're in, right? You know, there's, there's this little bit of hope that they cling on to that can take them out of what they're in. I mean, that, that's what gambling is, right? That's what, you know, going into the, trying to win the Powerball is like, there's a lit, you know, it's like one in a billion, but you're like, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? <laughs> there's that little bit of hope. You know, we're all thinking, man, what am I going to do with a billion dollars? And it's like, dude, you're not going to win it, 
But there's this little bit of hope. And so what they do is they exploit that, right? God created us, and he put hope in us. Ecclesiastes tells us that he put eternity in our hearts, and so we're all looking for and longing for something beyond just what's in this life, right? That's how God created us. And that's why there's one reason why there's so many different religions. Heresy is why, again, another reason why there's so many different religions. And heresy is another reason why there's so many different denomination and sects of Calvary, or not Calvary Chapel, of Christianity, right? We look at Christianity and there's so many different denominations. And so why is that? Well, it's because of heresy. It's because of people who have brought up things of their own will and their own mind. You know, one of them I think of Mormonism, right? Mormons believe the word of God, correct? Do you know what else they believe? The Book of Mormon, which one man wrote, the J- Joseph Smith, which you'd be like, well, okay, well, didn't one man write the book of First Peter? Of course, but it wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because <laughs> it's wrong, yeah. Do you know why this is an Aspen tree? Well, because it's an Aspen tree. Well, uh, no, because it's, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. It contradicts itself. And the word of God doesn't. And there'll be many scholars and many people who say, well, this contradicts that within just this book right here. But it doesn't. When we read it in context, when we read it for what it was written for, when we read it literally, we see that it does not contradict, that it's inerrant. But when it comes to the, the book that Joseph Smith wrote, it doesn't even line up with the word of God. So you can't believe both because they both contradict one another. So you either believe the book that Joseph Smith wrote or you believe the book that the Holy Spirit wrote through men, right? And so there's, again, in, in, in that book can't, comes up from a man who writes from his own will in his own way. So, a false teacher, someone who spreads inaccurate Christian doctrine. And again, so pe- people are not, uh, these false teachers are not doing out of ignorance. They're doing it because they know what they're doing, and they're doing it for a purpose of their own accord and their own will and their own desire, whatever reason that is. The second thing is Peter has in mind those who know full well, again, that they are doing and purposely trying to mislead others. And there is nothing worse than heresy. You know, we don't rate sins and we don't say this one's worse than that one, right? But if I had to, heresy would probably be the worst. And why is that? Everything else is, is pretty much physical, right? But heresy leads somebody off the path that leads to Jesus. It leads people to damnation and not salvation because the gospel tells us that there is only one way, right? And that way is through Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. It's not through, and we're going to talk about a couple uh, heresies that are prominent now, but, you know, it's not through our works. It's not through our giving. It's not through how good of a person I am. It's not through, well, God's just going to let everyone go to heaven type thing. You know, it's through the one path and the one truth that Jesus has given us through his word. So what is heresy? What is heresy? Well, the Greek word, it means choosing or choice, that which is chosen. And this word heresy was used of actually many different uh, parties in the Bible, we see it spoken of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, this is all in Acts, and even some of the Christians. 
And there's many dissensions that arose from the diversity of opinions and aims because of these heresies. Again, that's why we have so many different sects and different parties within a denomination. But here, Peter used it to refer to the doctrines of the false teacher that, would, that they would bring in that would cause division. You know, there are things that uh, are non-negotiable when it comes to the word of God. You know, the word also tells us that there are some gray areas. Like, well, is this a sin? Is, is this bad? Is this, you know, like, um, what's an example of something where we're, is listening to non-Christian music a sin? Does the Bible tell you that? No. So, so, you know, so there's some gray areas, but there's some things that we cannot veer from. There's some things that we cannot stray from, and yet there are many false teachers who do it. Now, Peter tells us in verse 1 here that they are among us, but also that they do it secretly. He says they will, bring it, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And again, heresies are destructive because they lead to destruction. They lead a person off the road of salvation to Jesus Christ. And again, he says that they bring it secretly, right? And so again, it's not something that's super noticeable. It's not like somebody's going to get up and say, hey, I'm a false teacher. Come follow me, right? <laughs> like nobody's going to say that. So it's secretly. They're teaching uh, is open, but it's deceptive in nature. Again, no false teacher will announce himself as a false teacher. There was a study in 2018, this is the earliest one I could find, that there was 51% of evangelical Christians who agreed with this statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And additionally, 60% agreed with the statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Now, we have discussed this time and time again, and I, 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 I beat, what's the phrase? Beat the dead horse, right? Um, over and over again. Is that the saying? <laughs> what is it called? Yeah, beating the dead horse. Like, that's a thing, I think. I don't think I said it right, but you know what I meant. Like, um... Gosh, now you guys messed me up. But, uh, but, but in, in really showing you guys in the word that truth is so important. You know, we were studying Ephesians, and we were talking about the armor of God and how truth was the first thing that we we're to put on. Without truth, nothing else matters. I mean, God tells us that when we worship, to worship in spirit and truth. It's important that we understand that when we worship God, we're not just singing that God's love is reckless. Right? Because that is not truth. We don't just sing something because it's from a Christian organization or band or something. We have to see that it lines up with what is scripturally right. Truth is vital. Truth holds everything together. Hence, that the truth is, uh, is the belt. Right? And so without truth, we're not going to get anything else right. We're not going to get our actions right. We're not going to get our relationship right. We're not going to get anything Right, And so when we think, when, when we think that truth is relative, right, when we think, well, hey, Jeffrey, you can believe what you want to believe, and you can believe what you want to believe, and it's all going to work out, and, and it's, we're all going to go to heaven, right? Like, it's, it's, that's how it works. No. Truth is an absolute. If there's multiple truths, it can't be so, right? I can't say one thing, and you say one thing, and it contradicts itself. 
And so God has given us an absolute and objective truth in the word of God. No religion made up by human beings is equal to the one revealed by the creator of the universe. And because God revealed his message, it is an objective truth. Now, I'm going to give you a few examples of some heresies. Uh, one heresy from the Judaizers uh, and it shows and, and they tell you that good deeds or your efforts contribute to your salvation. Why is that wrong? Well, because the Bible tells us it's wrong, right? And it's funny because a lot of these people use the Bible to teach these heresies. And then if you just actually read the Bible, you're like, oh, hey, actually, hey, that's not what it says. And so the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, how, how simple and blatant and obvious could that statement be? So none of my works get me into heaven. None of my works uh, allow me to have a relationship with Jesus. None of my works give me grace. None of my works give me faith, right? I am saved by grace through faith. And in that grace and faith is still not even something that comes from me, but ultimately comes from God. So I'm saved by a free gift that God has given to me. And all I have to do is either accept it or reject it. Now, where it gets misconstrued about these works is that we as Christians are to have good works, right? But they never precede faith and salvation. They never pre... And James tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. So we are to have works, but it's faith which is then coupled to works, right? It's not first, well, let me have works. Let me approach God. Let me do this. Let me do that. And then God's going to give me the faith or God's going to find favor in me. No, you're going to find yourself mistaken. It is all a free gift that Jesus has given to us. So the idea that good people are going to go to heaven is wrong. Right? How do I know that? Again, because it's not based on works. And just as Ariana said, there are no good people. Right? None of us are good. What does the Bible tell us? When, when a disciple came up to Jesus and he called him good teacher, and Jesus said, well, why are you calling me good? There's only one that is good. Well, if there's only one that is good, and he obviously was referring to himself, that means everyone else is bad, is not good, right? Because we are sinners. We have a fallen nature. And if you disagree with that, then I would just, I mean, if that isn't obvious that you're not a good person, then you are completely blinded to who you are as a person. It's not so much based on the good deeds and things you have. You and your heart are not a good person, right? Even if you've done one thing wrong, we are not good people. And so the idea that every good person is going to go to heaven is wrong, and, and that is what they call universalism. And a lot of people have their hope in that because they've had people who have passed away in their lives, and they want to cling on to the hope that they are in heaven, Right? There's many people who, after somebody dies, and they say, well, you, they're now in heaven. And the question is, well, why are they in heaven? How, how are they in heaven, right? Is it because they've accepted what Jesus Christ has done for them, right? Have they given and believed in Jesus Christ and what he did on the work and that he rose again and they've repented of their sins? Or do you believe it because you just don't want them to be in hell? And that's just the reality of what we live in, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Right? And we have one shot to either accept Jesus as Savior or to reject him. 
Another heresy is that uh, God will be good with everyone in the end. Again, universalism. God will be good with everyone in the end. Again, nobody wants to think that hell is real because it's just, it seems unfair, right? It seems harsh that, you know, if, if God is love, then why would he ever send anyone to hell? Well, God is love, and he sent his only son to earth to die for his creation, right? He became his creation. And so that is the gospel. God will, uh, is not going to, in the end, just let everyone into heaven. It contradicts the statements that we find in the word of God. Another heresy is Gnosticism, uh, where Christ only appeared to be human. So there's a belief that Jesus, uh, when he came, he was not just 100% man and 100% God, but he just appeared to be human, right? He had the appearance of a human, but he really wasn't tempted like a human. He really didn't go through the things that humans would go through, like hunger, pain, suffering, and all that type of stuff. So there's that with Gnosticism, um, which, again, if, if that's the case, that completely wipes out the entirety of the gospel because we have to believe that Jesus was 100% man because the only, pers- the only one that was uh, due the consequences of sin was man, right? That's why animal sacrifices couldn't do it because it had to be a kinsman redeemer. It had to be somebody who was man take that place so God became man. Another big heresy, which which is the main one that we see nowadays, is the prosperity gospel, uh, the word of faith gospel. Um, And I don't even know if you'd want to put the word gospel behind that. But um, you guys have seen this. You know it. Um, That is one of the gospels that blatantly uh, makes uh, verse 2, or uh, where is it? Verse 3. Look at verse 3. No, not verse 3. What am I, yeah, verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And so, again, it's the idea that, look, if you do this, if you do that, God's going to bless you. You know, if you do this or that, if you give, um, if you do this, you know, and usually the blessings are some type of blessing that has to do with physical blessing, whether it's healing or it's God providing you more money or, or something else. And, you know, the Bible tells us that he never really promises those things. I'll tell you this. The prosperity gospel in the way that we believe it and know it is not, it's, it's heresy. But I also believe that there is a prosperity gospel, right? Because... Joshua tells us, and we just started the book of Joshua on Wednesday, that he says, look, Joshua, if you do this and you do that and you obey my commandments, you will be blessed and you'll prosper, right? But oftentimes when we think of prosperity, we think of, I'm going to get the job that I want. You know, I'm going to get the career that I want. I'm going to make the amount of money that I want. Um, I, I always want to be comfortable. I never want to have any suffering. So if, if I ever get sick, God heal me, which is not a bad thing to pray, not at all. But Again, it's, it's, that's always the expectation, right? And one of the things that we have to understand when we come to Jesus is that Jesus does not promise us an easy life. He, he does, there is no promise of, hey, man, that's great. It's going to be so easy. He says, no, have you counted the cost? Are you willing to sacrifice everything? And he did that for a few disciples. He's, and, and two of the disciples said, well, 
the rich young ruler, right? He didn't want to go and give away his stuff, right? And so he left, and he didn't follow Jesus. He wanted to hold on to that. There's a sacrifice that comes from it. It's not easy. The second one said, well, I'm not going to follow you yet until, uh, until my father dies. Well, his father wasn't going to die anytime soon. So Jesus is like, well, let the dead bury their dead, right? In the sense that Jesus wasn't being harsh, but he was showing him that you're going to have to sacrifice some things to follow me. Now you're thinking, Jeffrey, well, why the heck would I be a Christian then? If God's not going to help me in this life, well, he is. Just not in the way that you usually want him to, right? He's not going to bless you with perfect health your entire life, right? He's not going to bless you with everything that your heart desires. Your heart is deceitful and wicked, you know, so why would you want to follow that anyways? But what he does promise is a lot of wonderful things, that we can have peace, right? That he does love us, that he does comfort us, that he does listen to us, that he does provide us everything we need, but not so much everything that we want, right? That he is a good father and he will provide good gifts. But again, if we want it and we expect it in the way that we think it's going to come about, we're sorely mistaken. And so there is, again, a type of prosperity gospel, and it's just the gospel itself, because, listen, I receive Jesus Christ, the creator of everything, the creator of me, of everything that I see. You know, we think of, of we as humans as being so creative, but we create things from things that are already created. God created everything from nothing, and he spoke it into existence, and he has loved us from the found, before the foundation of the world. That he, he knows everything about you. And he loves you and he cares for you. And so he provides in this life, but then there's eternity to come, right? Where I get to be with him for eternity. So there's many different false teachers who preach on this heretical uh, prosperity gospel. There's many prominent ones. Um, the Word of Faith preachers, you guys have heard of like Kenneth Copeland and um, oh gosh, I can't think of, um, T.D. Jakes, you know, have you guys ever seen, I think Emily told me about this, Preachers and Sneakers, was that it? Look, my sneakers are probably like $10, and I've been wearing them for like 10 years, <laughs> not that it's about me, forget that part, but, uh, it's a, it was like an Instagram page that showed, um, preachers teaching and how expensive their shoes were, and we're talking about, like, Yeezys and stuff that's more expensive than that, and and, and the idea here is that there's many of those types of preachers who do it to exploit their people, and they've got, you know, million-dollar homes and jets and, you know, all these things, and they're living lavishly while people are giving out of their heart when they only have a might to spare, right? And, you know, I love Paul because Paul never asked anybody for any money. He was a tent maker. So on the side, he would make tents, and then he would do ministry, right? Because he never wanted people to think that, hey, I'm in this for the money. I'm in this to exploit you. No, I'm in it because I love you, and I don't need anything from you. He says, look, I've learned to abound and to abase. And this is where we get that wonderful verse that we misquote all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does Paul mean? Paul means I can do all things whether I have a lot or a little. Either way, Christ is going to strengthen me. It's not about winning a game. It's not about, 
you know, my marriage. It's not about this or that or my career, that Christ is going to strengthen me. It had to do with having little. It had to do with finances. And so either way, he knew that God was going to strengthen him and be with him. And so he never asked for money. He asked for one church. And it's because he knew that they would not mistake him for exploiting them. You know? And so I, I love that about Paul. And so there's, again, there's many different false teachers who do that. Um, if they're living lavishly, if they're living better than the people in their congregation, that's probably something that we have to question. Um, I don't have enough time to, to talk more about that, so let's continue. So by covetousness, right, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Now, Peter calls it here that these heresies are destructive. Why are they destructive? Again, they lead people off the road to salvation, to Jesus Christ, because there's only one way to truth, and also because the way of truth will be blasphemed. We see this at the end of verse 2. Well, what does that mean? Well, again, when people live that way and they teach that way, people from the outside will see, well, hey, man, they're really only in it for the money or they're doing it for this or that. And there, again, there's a bad taste in people's mouths. So we, I think of, um, gosh, that church in New York. I can't remember their name. They haven't been in the news for a while. But they were really against uh, homosexuality, and they would, you know, have those. Um, yes, yes, right? And, and they claim themselves to be Christian. And so everyone sees that and says, well, man, that's, is that what, who Christians are? I don't want to be a Christian. Dude, if that's how Christians were, I wouldn't want to be a Christian either, Right? And so there's always this, this destruction and this uh, truth that will be blasphemed because of the way that they teach and also because of the way that they live. And they'll speak evil uh, of those who profess to follow Christ, thinking that false teachers are a fair representation of all of Christianity. And, you know, thinking, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then, then that's kind of what stinks. And there will also be divisions that occur. So... Uh, again, one of the things here that we see at the end of verse 2, or verse 1, is that they deny the Lord who bought them. They deny the Lord who bought them. What does that mean? Well, I believe it has the appearance that they were bought. The appearance, at least, that they were saved, but they deny it. Now, how do they deny it? Well, one, they deny it in their words, and two, they deny it in how they live. They deny it in how they live. Just as important as what we say is what we do, Right? Because, I mean, <laughs> Jesus called it out more than anyone ever when he talked about the, um, Patrick, help me out, the, uh, the hypocrites, right, the Pharisees, right? That, hey, you're saying and doing this thing, but that's not really how you're living, right? They were, they were hypocritical people, and God hated hypocrites. He hated them. And so we have to be aware of that that they may be saying one thing but living another way, denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. False teachers are promised this swift destruction. Now, it may not seem like it's swift enough, but God says that it is swift. Verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Again, many will follow their destructive ways. And I think of these people like Kenneth Copeland um, and a few others and their following is huge, right? We're not talking about 10 people. We're talking about thousands, millions of people who follow them because they promise something that people want. I, I want better health. I want my family to be safe. I want my family this. I want to provide for my family, you know? And so um, 
And so they follow after this because of that little, little bit of hope that they want. Have you guys watched um, the American Gospel? If you haven't, I would encourage you to watch it. I don't think I've seen the second one, but at least the first one um, really talks about uh, the destructiveness of the Word of Faith movement and how it completely goes against the gospel. So, verse 3, By the covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So let's look at their destructive methods. One we see in verse 1 is that they work secretly, right? Two we see in verse 3 is that they appeal to covetousness, right? They exploit you through covetousness. They offer things that the flesh often desires, which is wealth, health, power, influence. Again, it's the word of faith, prosperity, gospel movement. And they're going to use deceptive words. That's the third thing we see, deceptive words. They're going to exploit you with deceptive words. And one thing that Peter's going to add on later in this chapter in verse 18 is, is, is he says, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. <laughs> right? You ever heard somebody just speak a lot and it's like, there's nothing to it, right? That's exactly what these false teachers are like. There's so much to it. And then you think about it and you're like, that was dumb. Like, yeah, it was really quotable. And like, I could post that on Instagram and stuff like that. And it sounds great, but there is no depth to it. There's nothing to it, right? I, th- I think it's Stephen Furtick with that one. Um, they'll be smooth talkers who know exactly what they're doing. And they deceive those who follow them. And finally, we notice that Peter describes uh, their destructive end here, the end of verse 3. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Those who teach the word of God are held more accountable than somebody who does not. The the Bible tells, I forget where that is, but don't take my word on it. Go look for it. Um, But those who teach the word of God are held more accountable than those who are not And so I believe that the destruction and the judgment to come is going to be swift and it's going to be uh, something that I would not look forward to as being a false teacher. So swift destruction, um, you know, they're leading people to destruction uh, and they themselves are as well. And it will be swift. And the execution seems like it's not going to, it's not coming quickly enough when I think of all these uh, destructive false teachers but the execution will be swift. And Peter says their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. God is not idle, nor does he slumber when it comes to their judgment. He sees and he knows. And it's not ours to take vengeance, obviously. It is God's. And he's the one who will bring that judgment because it is God who judges, correct? It is God who judges. Do Christians judge? Oh, I guess that's a rhetorical question. Yeah, obviously we judge. Are we supposed to judge? Yeah, we are. Just not when it comes to condemnation. I'm to judge you in the sense of, hey, brother, if what you're doing is wrong, I'm going to tell you. But I do not judge you by your fruits, but I do not judge you in the sense of condemnation and damnation. That is not my judge. I am not the judge for that. That is only God who can judge in such a way. And so God will judge these false teachers and their destruction will come. So I will encourage you, and we're done, I will encourage you to know the word of God, to rightly divide it, to search the scriptures. And God will reveal to you things that are not truth and things that are truth. He will do it. And be careful. 
because we live in, in such an age where you know, we have everything we want at our fingertips and as quickly as we want, right? You know, I can, I can search, if I think of something, I can search it up and find it in a matter of minutes or seconds. And so with YouTube, with podcasts and Spotify and all these different avenues, there are literally hundreds of thousands of different teachers. And so we have to be careful. And as you guys grow up and you're going to leave your homes, you're going to move, things are going to happen, you're going to have to look for churches. Well, what, what do I look for in a church? One of the very first things you're going to want to look for is the teaching of the Word of God. To exegetically teach the Word of God in such a way that they don't put themselves in it. And that's one of the, the hard things about, you know, like Furtick, is that when he teaches, he does it eisegetically. And eisegetically means that he reads himself and people into the scriptures that it's about you, right? That when I'm fighting Goliath, when, or when David's fighting Goliath, well, I can, I can relate to that, right? I've got all these Goliaths in my life. That's not the purpose of the text, right? You are not Jonah in the belly of, of the whale or the, the fish. You are not Joseph who is uh, being hurt by his own. You're not Abraham sacrificing his own son. That is not you. Those are all pictures pointing to Jesus. Remember, the Bible is for you, but it is not about you. And so when we, when we study the scripture that way, and when it's taught that way, we misconstrue the truth and the meaning of the text. And a lot of it, although it's called eisegetical, uh, some people call it uh, nar- narcissistical or something. It's really funny. Because it's narcissism. It's, it's about me. But it's not. And exegetical, what it does is I don't come in with preconceived notions of this is what I wanted to say, so I'm going to make it sound that way. No, I'm going to allow the word of God to be doctrine itself and teach me what is truth. Regardless of my preconceived notions, regardless of my culture, regardless of anything that I know and come up with, otherwise I will misconstrue truth. Listen, if I want the Bible to say what I want it to say, you can. Anybody with half a brain can do that. That's why we see so many people uh, teaching these heresies. And if I want the Bible, if I want it to say what I want it to say, then it's not going to reveal to me the truth. There's many times in my life when it, when it comes to like certain sin, I'll kind of like look for it and be like, hey, well, it's not that bad, right? And I'll try to pick and choose one verse and be like, oh, well, he doesn't say it's bad here, right? And so when, when we do that and we think well, we're trying to justify and what happens is I'm, I'm altering the truth and I'm hiding the truth because I don't want to hear it and I don't want to see it, right? But the truth hurts, right? It hurts. It tells you, hey, man, you suck. You're not a good person. That's why you need Jesus. Hey, man, you shouldn't be living this way anymore, right? Hey, man, those feelings and thoughts you have, they're very real, but they're not truth. That's not how you were created, Jeffrey, Right? That's not how I created you. So, truth is vital. And we're going to look at this as we move forward uh, with these false teachers. 